right, welcome back everyone. This is Domain Query Romanticide. Welcome back to all of my longtime listeners on Podbean. Welcome back, welcome back to all of my longtime readers from the site. Uh, this is basically an answer to a question presented by longtime uh, reader in front of the site, Robert W. And he had a comment for me on my year-end book list for the car crash of a year that was 2021. There's about a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And yes, if you rolled your eyes at that title, believe me, I know where you're coming from. It does sound like a ridiculous title. Uh, insofar as the book itself, it is useful. I do think it is a good book. I, it is a very easy read. It is a very useful read, particularly for understanding relationships. And the content is not half as cheesy as the title. The content is in fact quite valuable. And I think anybody of any age, um, above majority and in any form of uh, relationship would find it useful, would find it helpful, whether you're dating, you're uh, cohabiting, which is not a good idea, but if you're doing it, you know, fine. Um, if you're married, especially, it will be very, very helpful to you. And it is helpful regardless of age, regardless of how old you or your spouse is, your significant other is. Um, <clears throat> the question from Robert W. was as follows. Um, Chapman, the author, has made a real cash cow of this whole thing, though. There's a half dozen different variations on this book that are all, years after release, still in the top sellers of relationships books. Uh, it makes me think people are looking for quick and easy fixes for handling people, and this promise is quick and easy without having to do any work on one's own self, at most just changes in how to respond to other people. I would find your perspective on it interesting, in particular on how applicable or not it is in cross-cultural, e.g. USA slash India dynamics? Well, it's a very good question, uh, because the point that uh, Robert W. raises earlier in his comment, and I have linked to the comment in the description box, is that this is a useful read, but it seems like a 24-page brochure puffed up into a 120-page book. That's true, it is. <clears throat> like a lot of self-help books, like a lot of business books, it's essentially just a pamphlet turned into a book. Uh, you'll find this over and over again. I mean, the two-hour job search, um, what else? In Search of Excellence, uh, the Balanced Scorecard, basically any business book, any relationship book, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, rich, rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's the same thing every single time. You take a core idea or a core set of ideas, which you could explain in a set of PowerPoint slides, and then you turn it into a giant book because it gives you intellectual heft or something like that. But anyway, the point is that um, further on in his query, Robert W. says, uh, this is a core concept of people experiencing incoming love in different ways and express outgoing love in different ways has a broad application beyond romance. Very true. In any type of customer-facing context, it's good to pick up on how people respond. Yep. Just listening to the problems, quality time or taking charge immediately, acts of service or just a replacement latte, gifts or statement of appreciation for bringing it up, words of affirmation, all come into play. So, um, all true. Totally agree with that. Uh, the comment is very solid. 
The specific question is about how you apply it in a cross-cultural context. Well, I happen to have uh, quite a bit of expertise on that um, because of, of everything I've been through for the last few years. Um, with respect to the book itself, if you haven't read it, then try to force yourself past the gag reflex that you'll get from looking at the title. I get it's, it's stupid, right? I, I get it. It's, uh, it is very, very cheesy. But try to work past that and look at what it's actually saying. Um, the point of the book is that we each communicate affection and receive affection in different ways. And it is important to understand those ways and try to manage around them. So each style, and there are five of them, there are five styles of communication, are, is unique and has its own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, words of affirmation are essentially statements of appreciation. You did, hey, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. I am really impressed. I think that's really cool. What you're doing is amazing, etc. You're basically building up someone's self-esteem by saying you appreciate that person's contributions. Acts of kindness is more or less what it says. You Acts of service, rather. You do things for people to express your caring for them. Physical touch, well, pretty much self-explanatory. Uh, you, you express love not through words, not through doing things for people, but just by touching them, by being around them, by uh, kind of uh, through sen sensual or sensory input and output. Um, quality time, that's where you spend time together doing activities that the other person appreciates or that you appreciate, and that builds bonds of trust and care and respect. Uh, that's three. What, what else did, What else is there? Um, there are a few of these. Uh, uh, gifts, yeah, of course, giving gifts is, is a standard way of, of expressing affection and uh, literally just giving someone something nice or something small, token of appreciation, etc. Um, and uh, what's the what's the other one? Uh, yeah, I think that's all of them. So I, I think I got all five. Um, the point is that each of us has falls into one of these five patterns when giving care and affection, and each of us falls into one of those five patterns, usually the same one, though not always, when receiving it in return. So what did I learn from the book? Well, I learned which one works best for me. And uh, you're going to find out if you go through the book and you go through the exercises in it, what works best for you. And what works best for you will have a direct, or actually will have an inverse correlation with your upbringing, your childhood in general. As with all things psychology related, when you're dealing with who you are today, most of it comes from who you were when you were a child and how you were brought up, how you were raised. So in my context, and this is not a, a, a slam against my parents, because I think they, like most parents, did the best job they could, um, they just weren't big on praise. I, uh, as a child, was quite stubborn, um, some things don't change, and <clears throat> quite inflexible about how I would do things. 
And I was also very, very independent-minded. I would do things the way I wanted to do them. And um, as such, I didn't really seem like I needed a whole lot of uh, affection or praise or anything like that. But it turns out that for me, the most effective way to gain, uh, to, to show me care and the way that I feel it the most is through words of appreciation, words of affirmation, as it were. So this is what I learned about myself. And I learned that certain other people uh, get, feel valued, feel appreciated um, through things like quality time, spending time together, doing things that, like, honestly, I mean, I'm pretty set in my ways and doing things beyond what I consider to be my boundaries has always been extremely difficult for me. And it's something I've had to get better at over time. And I'm a lot better at it today than I used to be four or five years ago. But it took a tremendous amount of uh, work, not necessarily on my part, to do it. And it wasn't very pleasant. Um, the, 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 the trap that we fall into as people is that we express appreciation in the same way that we receive it. And this inevitably causes problems because other people don't communicate the same way. It's literally like I talk to somebody in English and he talks back to me in Russian. I can sort of understand it because, I mean, obviously I, I speak some Russian, but that it's not going to be particularly effective. And if I talk to somebody in English and he talks to me in Chinese, well, forget it. There's no way to communicate between those two paradigms. They're two completely different styles of communication. It's the same thing with this book. That's what it's trying to tell you. That's the value that you gain from reading through it and working through the exercises. You learn what is effective and what is not in communicating with your partner, with your loved ones. It is a bit of a faff. I mean, he does go into a lot of detail, but there is science behind it. There is actually really good science behind it. He brings up the, uh, the, the experiments by the Gottmans, Dr. John Gottman and his wife in which um, the single biggest predictor of divorce is whether or not you feel valued by your partner, whether you feel respected by your partner, something like that. Now, taking those lessons and applying them in a cross-cultural context, what happens? Well, there are certain generalizations that you can make about cultures which apply for intercultural relationships. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about business negotiations. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about work relationships. These are broadly applicable lessons. Okay. What you learn from this book can help you understand where relationships are breaking down within the context of cross-cultural, cross-national uh, international communications. So, if you look at, let's say, let's take the, the three cultures I'm most familiar with, uh, Russian, Indian, American. American culture is very, very, very big on uh, words of, of praise. People are all about self-esteem in America. It's ridiculous, actually, how much people are all about self-esteem. Um, this is a very esteem-driven culture. It's a very narcissistic culture, unfortunately. And it's a big problem in America. People are not particularly reserved in America. 
they express their affections quite volubly and quite openly. That's good. But that style of communication is not necessarily appreciated by other cultures. If you take the Japanese, just as a slight aside, the Japanese have a very different style of communicating. Japanese people are very, very reserved. They don't show their uh, true feelings, and they certainly don't speak their true feelings. But they will communicate non-verbally, which is why with a Japanese type of culture, you may find it easier to engage with them by spending time with them. I'll give you a very good general example. You walk into a meeting with any Japanese company, any one of them, and the same applies to the South Koreans and to a lesser extent to the Chinese, and it applies with absolute certainty with Indonesians. You walk into a meeting with that the, the big boss of a company, and he will be sitting in the center of the room, in the, in the, in the meeting room, all of his underlings will be flanked around him. He will sit down first. Everyone will pay 100% attention to that guy and what he has to say. All of his underlings will take their cues from him. At no point in the entire discussion will you hear any dissension or disagreement with what the big boss says. It is only when the meeting adjourns and wraps up because everybody in the meetings is just sitting there nodding, going, yes, of course, hi, Takayama-sama, etc., etc. And uh, they all file out of the room, and the boss goes his way to play his game of golf or whatever. Um, at some late hour of the night, you're going to end up with all of his colleagues in a karaoke bar singing uh, very, very badly off-key Western 90s power ballads or something. And um, the, the people there will then tell you exactly what they actually think in reality. Now, for you as a foreigner, that's not going to be a fun experience because it's so weird. I mean, culturally, it's just so weird and so uncomfortable for most Westerners to sing karaoke, but the Japanese love it. But that time that you spend with them in that environment is what they value and they appreciate. So that lesson is broadly applicable. If you're an American going into a Japanese context and you start with an American style of communication by saying, wow, I really love what you guys are doing here. It's a, this is so, so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Like, Whoa, dude. They're going to be like, you can't, please. You know, you're emoting too much. But the moment you start spending some time with them or in the Japanese culture also giving them gifts, there's a lot uh, involved in the social interplay of gift giving, you will find that you will get results in a business context, in a personal context, building friendships, in a romantic context, for sure. The Japanese have uh, like white day and um, something else, uh, red day or something. I, I forget what it's called, but it, it, essentially on, let's see if I got this right, on white day, that's when you buy, uh, that's when men buy a gift for their women, like for special women. So they, it's a very formal ceremony. You walk in, you hand a gift over to a woman in the office that you are trying to show appreciation for. 
And on the other day, which is like a month after that or something like that, um, the woman comes to the man, usually her boss, and very definitely gives him a gift. Um, stuff like that. Uh, that's a very, very normal part of Japanese culture. Um, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. I have uh, Japanese people in my uh, circle here. Uh, one of them came back from Japan and gave me a big pack of Japanese tea, which is a very sweet gift. Uh, previously, I received from that same person a gift of um, Japanese uh, chocolates or something, mochi balls or something, I forget exactly what. Very nice gift and very, very sweet. Uh, they were actually too sweet for me personally, but this is how people show esteem and respect um, for their colleagues and the people they care about. So that's American culture, let's say, interfacing with Japanese culture. Let's take Indian culture. Indian culture is, there, there are a lot of um, psychosocial hang-ups in Indian culture, which you'd have to go through an entirely different episode of this just to unpack, the, like just to skim the bare surface of it. But Indian parents, um, again, Indian parents do the best they can with their kids, like parents everywhere do. I'm not slamming Indian parents unnecessarily. I'm just saying Indian parents have some very bad habits that they tend to pass on to their children. And among those habits are an obsession with things that in the long run really don't matter. Um, An over-obsession with education, with uh, professional attainment, with grades, with, uh, with achievement. And the reality is those achievements are the achievements of men. They're meaningless. They, they have no import whatsoever on, the, on what your life is actually worth. Um, as a result, a lot of kids in India grow up without really feeling valued in the sense of being people. You know, parents take great pride in their children and they, they really push their children to achieve as much as possible, get the best grades in school, be the top of the class, be, um, be the, the, the best in school, get the best job, go for specific fields where you're sure to get a good salary, etc., etc. These are marks of esteem among other men, uh, among, well, in society. These are, these are marks of societal favor. These are not these are not ways of valuing people for who they are as people, as children of God, as, as God's creation, who exist to glorify God with our reverence of Him and our worship of Him. This is not the Indian way of thinking. So what this means is that kids come out of an Indian environment with uh, a very skewed understanding of how to give and receive affection. And it's a huge, huge problem. I mean, this is, India may have a, an official 1% divorce rate. Actually, it's a way higher than that in the big cities. Um, and Indians have some very serious hangups about dating, love, romance, and marriage as a result of this. And I've talked about some of these issues extensively elsewhere. I'm not going to go over them again. Other than to say that the level of sociosexual dysfunction in India is off the scale. And it's something that Indian society needs to address. But given the mass inertia of like 1.4 billion people, ain't going to happen anytime soon. So, um, all I will say again, 
is that Indian parents do the best that they know how, and they try to give their children the best, and for that you have to respect them. There's no um, slam intended against them, it's just this is what happens with Indian families. And it's not much different from what happens with families from other Asian backgrounds. It's just, it is what it is. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. When you look at Indians as they come out of that system, they tend to express affection or respect or gratitude or appreciation in physical or, uh, well, not through physical touch, I mean through gift giving and um, through like quality time in the sense of, uh, or acts of service. They, not, um, not, not quality time. They, they tend to express, uh, respect and admiration and, uh, and appreciation through, again, gifts and through acts. This is a very transactional approach to, um, uh, to interactions with other cultures. And it causes a big problem because that transactional mindset comes in part from the caste, uh, the legacy of the caste system, which says that if you are, if you have a shit life today, that's because you did bad things in the previous life. You deserve this. To get out of that shit life in the next life, you do good things today. So it's a very, very transactional approach to doing good things. And it can be very superficial. And most other cultures see through that superficiality very quickly. Um, and this causes immense problems when you're talking between an Indian and an American, for instance. Uh, an American wants to receive words of appreciation, but instead receives gifts or acts of service. Um, that makes that person feel unvalued or devalued. And I'm making gross generalizations here. I'm well aware of that. I'm talking in very general national characteristics based on what I have observed. If you have um, contradictory data points, well, that's fine. I mean, it's, I'm just saying, this is my opinion. I'm not pretending to be an academic or I'm not saying that I've studied this extensively because I haven't. I'm just saying, this is what I have observed which gels with the observations or ideas laid out in the book. Your mileage may vary. Anyway, this causes no end of frustration in communications between the two countries and the two peoples. Indians are transactionally driven. Americans are driven by different desires and goals. And again, plenty of exceptions exist on both sides. Okay, so this is not in any way a hard and fast heuristic. If you look at Russians, now Russians are an interesting case. Russians are very, very reserved, very cold at first. It takes a lot to get a Russian to open up, but the moment he does, the moment you win a Russian's trust, he is your friend for life. He is your, he's always going to be there for you. He's always going to help you. Uh, a Russian woman, if you have a good Russian woman in your life, and it's hard to find them, but they do exist, is the best kind of girlfriend or wife imaginable. She is loyal, she is sweet, she is kind, she is loving, she's very well domesticated, she wants to please her man, she wants to do good things for him. These are wonderful qualities, but boy, do you have to go through some drama to get to that point. <laughs> I mean, 
The stories I could tell you, uh, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. You, know, you wouldn't even believe half the shit I could tell you. But once you get to that point, you're going to discover that the way that they, particularly Russian women, uh, receive and give affection is very different from what Americans and Indians are used to. Um, Russians tend to value time spent with them. They really tend to value that tremendously. If you do things with Russians that show respect to their national culture, their uh, sense of who they are, their sense of innate pride in who they are, if you show respect for what Russia is and what a Russian person values, that's a very, very, very good way to win a Russian's trust. If you speak to a Russian person in Russian, and it shows that you have made the effort to learn a very difficult language, they will immediately warm up to you. And I can tell you this from personal experience. I was at a, um, an event a couple of months ago, early November, and I was down south. And uh, I walked into the room, and it wasn't very populated at that time, and I just walked over and, you know, I mean, one of my problems is just walking into a room and saying hi to people. It's immensely difficult uh, for me because I'm extremely introverted and I find it incredibly hard to just walk into a room and, and walk up to people and say, hey, how are you doing? My name is, you know, how are you doing? Shake hands and launch into a conversation. I'll, I mean, I went to an old friend's wedding like almost 11 years ago in Hawaii and, um, that was brutal. I mean, it was so painful. I, I saw the wedding. I saw my friend. She got married. It's a wonderful event. But I had no clue how to talk to anybody. I mean, it was really, really depressing. Um, I was just milling around, you know, trying not to bump into people and not talking to anybody. And finally, I think somebody felt sorry for me and kind of just walked up and said, hey, how are you doing? And then I was able to engage with people. But up until then, it was just, it was such a, an uncomfortable feeling. So since then, I've had to really work on my social skills to the point where I can walk into a room with confidence and say, hey, I am. Here's my background. How are you? Uh, when you speak with Russians, it's a whole different feeling. I love Russians for this exact reason. I walked into the room. There were a bunch of people there, and I saw this guy with a name tag on that looked like a Russian name. I walked up to him and I said, hey, uh, this seems like an interesting guy because, I mean, I know Russian. I lived in Russia for a while. I understand their culture. So I walked up to his little group of people, and I started listening to him. I was like, hey, your, your accent, it sounds like you're Russian. And he said, yeah, I'm part Russian. Immediately, you know, uh, started talking to him in Russian. Well, uh, we're uh, and he's like, wow, that's different. It's, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I was able to engage with him directly for that exact reason. And you can immediately tell that the quality of the relationship with the Russian is going to be very different from the quality of the relationship with anyone else. I met people there, uh, from South Africa, from Japan, from Romania. I met a, uh, a Romani guy. I mean, you'd think, you know, Romanians and Russians being not very distant cousins, they would react the same way. No, 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 they don't. Um, 
I contacted the I, I contacted one person from Eastern Europe and got a totally different response than I did from the Russian guy that I contacted because it's just a different environment, it's a different feeling, and it comes from that ability to engage with someone on his terms, on his cultural norms, rather than on on your own. Russians really value that. And you can get a long way with Russians by just showing appreciation for their culture, showing respect to their language and their background and their heritage, and appreciating the diversity of viewpoints that exist within the motherland. Once you do that, you can build a relationship with a Russian very quickly. And they're just, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, I have an extremely high opinion of Russians and, um, they have a lot of, you know, messed up things about them. I mean, Russia's a country with a lot of problems. Uh, alcoholism, you know, uh, is, a, is, is rampant among the men. Uh, they are very fatalistic people and that leads them to kind of a very, depressing view of the world. They've been taught a very rules-based approach to religion and faith where they're kept in line through fear. The, the Orthodox Church keeps them in line through fear of God's wrath if they sin, when in reality the message of Christ is about God's love, infinite love for his creation, that holds his righteous and just anger against us at bay. And Russians don't really see that, 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 that part. They don't really see the love part of the relationship. They see the anger part of it. They live in mortal terror of sinning and they desperately try not to sin. And it's like, well, you're going to sin anyway as a result of that. They, that's, that's the wrong mindset to have. The, the correct mindset to have is yes, try not to sin, but beg forgiveness when you do sin. Understand that God wants you to confide in him, to, to, to appreciate him, to worship him of your own free will, build a personal relationship with God and build towards a mutual understanding with God rather than living in mortal terror of God. That's a ridiculous way to live, but that's how the Russians live. So, you know, so at any rate, um, I think that explains reasonably well where everything comes from and how applicable that book is. Again, The Five Love Languages, I get it. Really cheesy book, really cheesy title. Totally with you on that. I understand it. Give it a read nonetheless, because I think I certainly got a lot of value out of it. I think most people in relationships of any kind will get value out of it. Uh, be aware that it is indeed one idea stretched out into, you know, 200 plus pages. Um, unnecessarily long perhaps but um and don't don't waste your time buying all the other crap that he's he's put out i mean it's the same basic idea repeated over and over and over again it's like dude come on i mean you had one good idea you marketed it once okay great yeah fine um to the point that robert w raised about people wanting quick and easy fixes yeah there is the danger of that um i wouldn't say it's 100 percent applicable in this case because if you apply the lessons that you've learned in this book, you will see improvements in your relationship. I mean, you have to apply them, though. You can't just read them and say, oh, okay, nice idea. You have to actually apply them. I have applied them both consciously and unconsciously since I read that book, which was beginning of last year. And I have seen dramatic improvements in the way I've been able to engage with people, 
build relationships with people, maintain relationships with people, and understand where people are coming from. So I think you will probably get something good out of it as well. So give it a shot, see what happens. At any rate, uh, that is quite enough for me. It's getting late my time, and so I will wrap it up here. This has been Domain Query Romanticide, and I am Didact, signing off.